Good morning. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Good morning and buenos dias. How's that? It's good to see all of you here this morning as we gather around, not only uh, with one another, but also around the table of the Lord because we get to um, see what the Lord has in store for us this morning through our pastor, Josh, and, and we thank the Lord for that. Uh, that um, one of the things I'm really thankful is the, all the preparation he does and all the things that he does for this, for this body and continue to pray for him and his family. You know, it's a tough job. Uh, you might not re re know it, but it's a really, really tough job. And so continue to pray for that family. Uh, this morning, as we begin, several announcements on your bulletin there. If you, I hope you got a bulletin this morning. The, on, your, on the men's uh, Triple B, there will be a pig roast, and that will be on May 20th at 6 p.m. So if the men um, you are interested, that's the day on, on that. Also, one thing coming up that's also important for this body is the VBS coming up real, really quick here within about a month or so. And so continue to pray for that. And I'm not sure if it's too late to register for, for VBS or for help. Um, can they still volunteer? Excuse me? Oh, the sheets in the front also. I'm sorry. Yeah, so if you want to help, you know, uh, go ahead and take one of those. And that will be June 12th through the 16th. So pray for that already. And also another one there that's in your bulletin. It's a movie night for the adults. So I hope the popcorn is provided. That's all, I'm, that's all i got to say. Um, so anyway, uh, those also follow us uh, on social media there, as you can see. And um, continue to pray for the ministries that are listed there in your bulletin also. Uh, so, you know, you can participate in a lot of, a lot of things here at Passive Bible Church, even uh, just by praying. And, you know, so we thank you for that if you do follow along with that way. This morning, in preparation for our pastor's message, would, if you would like to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And I'll be reading two verses out of chapter 9 there. Beginning with verse 11. But Christ came on as high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and the more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats, and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you this morning for the privilege of you just being here. It's only through your grace, Lord, through the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we're able you know, to fellowship one with another. And enjoy not only the music, but also, Father, the message that you have in store for us this morning. We say thank you so much for that. Father, we know we've been praying for many of our members here at El Paso Bible Church, those that attend, that are going through great hardships. Lord, we pray that we continue to pray for them and also for those that aren't so, you know, tough, Lord, but yet still require prayer, Lord. Pray that you pray that we will continue to um, at least as a body, hold them up before you, Father. And so this morning, I thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your love, and even your forgiveness, Lord. Just again, be with the pastor as he brings the message to us, Lord, that we have open ears and a 
And Father, thank you so much. Just we lift up the name of Jesus this morning as we begin our worship service. Masses in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Would you stand with us for a time of worship? <clears throat> Sin and sickness bow to the 
God, you do great things. This is it, say it. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. You've done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave you free every captive and break every chain oh god you have done great things we dance in your freedom awake and alive oh jesus our savior your name lifted high oh god you have done great the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds a victory. This joy in the house of the Lord. This joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. This joy in the house of the Lord, our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals, we sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross, then he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. 
There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise.
Savior Jesus, He has said His way is best, and I know the path He's chosen leads to everlasting rest. Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus, may my heart be ever yours. Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus, may my heart be ever yours. Oh, on that cross, how it was seen. Trust you more and more. 
Jesus, only Jesus, may my heart be ever yours. You may be seated. Well, I'm not on. Now I'm on. And uh, every once in a while, when Jacob does an unplugged kind of set like this, it reminds me of when he interviewed uh, for this position. Uh, how long ago was it, Jacob? 2010? Long, long. long time. He got old. I stayed about the same. No. Um, long time ago. Uh, but it was Jacob just standing up there with a guitar leading worship to an empty room (laughs) that resulted in his ministry here. So I just really enjoy that every time. So I hope you do too. Um, He's a little self-conscious about it, I think. But uh, I love it. So, um, good morning. Uh, Children, you guys can go to Children's Church. It's that time, and I think we have it today. I I, uh, am happy that I don't always know who's leading Children's Church, but uh, it does feel a little bit... uh, nerve-wracking occasionally when I release the children, and uh, it seems like they're okay. All right. I would like to remind you guys, uh, we are doing, I guess we shouldn't really call it a triple B if we're doing a whole pig roast, but I have about a 48-pound pig in the freezer already waiting for the day. Uh, That's a big pig, so come and invite people. Right, so it's really that we're gonna. You don't need to bring protein for this one unless, like, you want to not eat whole roasted pig. I guess you could bring chicken nuggets, but I can't vouch for what's going to happen to you if you are the man that brings chicken nuggets to a pig roast. Men, he who has an ear, let him hear. I'll have no control, zero. All right, so come. That's May twentieth. Uh, my son argued that that's my son Gideon's first anniversary that day. And when he was here, he was complaining that I was doing a pig roast while he was gone and on his anniversary. It's like I really, really, really didn't want him to come. But that had nothing to do with it. I told him, even if you were here, it's your anniversary, son. You're not going to be here. So we're going to do the pig roast. All right. But hopefully you will come. All right. Well, let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning. Uh, we're going to continue in First Peter. Uh, chapter 1 here, and I think we're not going to get through verse 21. That was, looks like one of my typos, uh, but we'll just get where we get this morning. You remember that last, last week in our message, Scripture gave us a command, um, and at first it can seem quite onerous, and we're not the first ones who rightly understanding what God is, is commanding in that kind of a command. Be holy as I am holy. Um, that is a command that is intended to make you go, hmm, right? It's, it's supposed to make you consider what it means. Did it do that? I hope it did that. It did it for me. It does that for me when I read these things in Scripture, especially the imperatives. But that was the therefore application That was the therefore application after a long list of benefits and of goodness and blessings that God has blessed us with as His children, who He has identified as those who are choice and precious aliens in this world. 
uh, people who are, in fact, sojourning here. In fact, he uses the word that your, your parochios here, your stay, almost like you were just checking into a Motel 6, right? Or the, I guess Motel 6 still exists. When I was a kid, you couldn't listen to the radio for more than a couple minutes without hearing, we'll leave the light on for you. Um, Tom Bodet, I don't think he's still doing the commercials, right? Boy, I'm getting old. Wait a minute, Jacob's getting old. I didn't get old, remember? Um, Choice aliens, people who are here for a time, but whose citizenship is not here, but who have a precious, valuable role to play in God's plan for the world in which we sojourn, right? It's not our home. Uh, We are those who are living in this world who are expecting glories to come in the resurrection that's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ we talked about a few weeks ago. Looking forward to an incorruptible and ready inheritance with the the loins of our mind girded. We talked about what that means, right? Applicable to everybody, not just the warriors, not just the the tip of the spear of the church, right? It was designed so that you could do stuff without tripping. Preparing your mind to not be tripped up by what the world presents as questions to you. Prep to keep our feet even in distressing trials for this little while that we are here. And to us, who are also choice aliens, we're the same folks that Peter's writing to. Functionally, dispensationally, we're the church. Peter was writing to the church. The interesting thing is that he's quoting something that Moses wrote to Israel. Be holy, for I am holy or as I am holy. Be holy. And remember, it's not imputation language. It's not. You know what imputation is. We talked about that last week. Imputation is when you get something credited to you that has come to you by benefit of somebody else. It's not something you produced. It's something in your account uh, that you didn't put there, right? It's imputed to you. You have holiness, you have righteousness, you have a righteous standing before God because Christ's righteousness was imputed to you by grace through faith. You have life because of that, it is a free gift. But here Peter says, be holy in your conduct, in your behavior, be set apart, how we act. And Moses said that to Israel. Be holy in your conduct. Be set apart in your conduct. Because the expectation in both situations is that those who are called God's children would emulate the actions of their father. Now, fathers, that scares the snot out of you, doesn't it? There are all sorts of things. We all pray every day. I hope that you pray every day. I pray that my son does not emulate this about me. Yeah? If you haven't come to that point yet, you need to maybe get a little more introspective. (laughs) Right? About some of the things that we do that we hope that our children do not emulate. But God doesn't have that problem. He's holy. Emulate His actions. 
But that's what every time I see a, a command like this, right? And we have this problem as pastors in this, in this generation, but it's not unique to ours. This goes all the way back to the beginnings of human history, in my opinion, certainly to the fall, in which the, the illustration of the father-child relationship is not an immediately positive one for everyone, right? Right? I'm not saying that's true of you. I'm not saying it has to be true of you. And I'm not saying that you should go home and try to dig. Because some people tell you this. Go and find the trauma. Everybody's got their trauma. Look, if you're living trauma-free right now, don't dig that hole. That's not a treasure at the bottom of the hole. But if it is painful for you, I need you to understand it has been painful for somebody since Genesis 3. And it has never stopped God the Father from saying, emulate my holiness as the father of my children do that. Even if you cannot emulate the things that your father demonstrated. You may not be able to emulate your earthly father. But don't let that cause confusion in the command. I mean, like I said, all of us as fathers have some things at least some things that we pray to God our children don't do. I know that y'all are saying an amen on the inside. It's okay. Notice I used the we there. We all have them. But that's been common to human history. As God's children, we're commanded to be holy in our behavior the way the Father is holy in His behavior and His actions. His holiness is good. It is good for us. It is good for others. It is full of good intentions and kindness and good gifts and grace because He wouldn't ask us to emulate it otherwise, right? Emulate His behavior, His actions. But it still sounds, I don't know about y'all, but lately I've been, I'm, I, have, I have been feeling a very substantial difficulty just getting the bare minimum of everything done. Anybody with me? Leave me alone. Leave me hanging. Okay, Bill's with me. Uh, y'all can just leave me hanging. It's okay. It won't hurt my feelings. Or should I say like my son? I don't have any left. Is that what you said, Danny? Yeah. It's a lie. He's got feelings. I've got feelings. But what happened? I don't know if y'all do this, but when I am like that, you know what I go and do? What my father would have eloquently called Jack Squat. Nothing. When I am utterly and completely crushed under all a billion deadlines, under all a billion pains and stresses that in fact aren't even mine. I just go and sit on the back porch and have a beer. Anybody? I just can't get all that crap done. And I don't know who expects me to do it. And that could happen when you read a command in Scripture from an ultimately, absolutely, perfectly holy God, and He says, be like me, dude. 
hand me a beer. I'm going to go sit on the back porch. Yeah? I mean, your job can do that to you, much less Yahweh, right? Be holy. Well, he has expectations. God does not demand impossible tasks of his children. He is a good father. Can we start there? Bad fathers ask their children for them to do impossible things and hold them accountable for impossible things. Sometimes fathers get imputed with doing that when they haven't done it. They've simply elevated expectations and that they know their child can meet. That's not what I'm talking about. You need to do that. You need to place challenges before, especially your sons, fathers. This is where our generation, for several generations, has fallen flat on its face in raising sons, is failing to establish expectations that are reasonable but challenging. But God, that, God has not set an unreasonable standard before you. We simply, we do need to understand it. We do need to understand other biblical doctrines, right? In 1 John, John told us that no one has seen the Father at any time, right? So it's not monkey see, monkey do. With God the Father, you've never seen Him, right? So there's, that's a qualification of the standard of obedience to this command. He hasn't asked you to imitate something you've never seen because he's a good father. But that's what we're going to look at today. What, what is the expectation? Because the explanation is still in the text. That shouldn't surprise us here at El Paso Bible Church. It ceases to surprise me, but I'm always happy still. Is that okay? I'm not so surprised by it anymore. Verse 17 says this. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, are you God's children? Are you God's child? Maybe I should make it singular. Nobody is God's children. Everybody who is God's child is God's child individually. You have trusted in Christ. By grace, through faith, you have received the free gift of eternal life. You've had Christ's righteousness imputed to you. You are clothed with the, the righteousness of Christ. You are clothed with Him. Your identity is in Him. Are we all there this morning? You can say no if it's no. I need to do something else for a few minutes if somebody says no. I'm not, but if we're there, then we don't need to spend those few minutes. Okay. Since then, since you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, each one's actions, each one's behavior, we must all stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, right? Not to determine whether we're going to live or die, but to determine the stewardship of our lives and what God is going to reward us with, what Christ is going to reward us with for that faithfulness in this temporary distressing time while we sojourn on this world. Conduct yourselves in fear. Behave. 
Now, again, we're not talking about how to go to heaven when you die. Right? Anybody want to venture a guess as to how we know that? See, when Scripture talks about how you behave, that's not talking about going to heaven when you die. When it's talking about believe, then we're talking about going to heaven when you die. Most of the time. Believing in Jesus. That's a fairly simple distinction, right? If some about behave, it's not talking about believe. If some about believe, it's not talking about behave. Conduct yourselves. Act a certain way. Now, if you care about what that's on a strefo. So there's a couple of words that use strefo there. Epistrefo is, some, is usually translated to repent in English. It kind of confuses things because metanoia, change your mind, is translated repent. Then epistrefo is also translated repent. Metanoia means to change your mind. Epistrefo means to get your crap together and change your direction. That's what epistrefo means. Anastrefo means also not to change your behavior, but to behave in a certain way, to elevate your behavior, you could say. Conduct yourselves this way. Supposed to be in control of how you behave, by the way. That's foreign to the world, isn't it? They can't control being offended. They can't control their screaming, their rioting, their theft, burning of buildings in their own communities, those kinds of things. Those things apparently are not within their realm of self-control. You're supposed to control your behavior. I am too. So that's the imperative. That's the main verb. That's defining what the passage is talking about. We call a finite verb. Then it says, in fear. And there will always be in a room this size about half a dozen people that scrunch up their noses and they don't like to talk about believers in fear. Hold on. You can scrunch up your nose. Just hold on. It's okay. But it's phobos. It's a plain vanilla word for fear. And the thing about phobos is it's used a lot. And when you use a word a lot, it develops even more distinction in a lot of different meanings, right? Right? Can you think of some in English and Spanish, right? The word turn means all sorts of different things. The more common a word is in vernacular, the more things it means, and that's relevant to this discussion. But the word is phobos, and you are familiar with that because every one of you in here has probably been called transphobic. Right? Or you could reasonably assume that somebody would call you such, right? Because of how they treat other people. Right? Simply for quoting a Bible verse, God created them male and female. What's weird is that that entire subcategory of our community complains, moans, and groans about us supposedly being scared of them, transphobic, but actually what they want is for you and I to be legitimately scared. They know we're not actually scared, but they want us to be, but then they won't call us transphobic. 
if they can scare us into accepting and speaking lies that they want to hear back to them, then they will know that we are afraid, but they will no longer call us transphobic. Isn't that the world, world's irony? Does that make sense at all? You're not afraid of transgender people right now, are you? But you're transphobic today, according to them. When they achieve their objective, supposedly, if they want, they want everyone to be afraid of offending them or telling them the truth. But then, by their definition, you will no longer be transphobic, will you? The world is full of lies. It's full of lies. Used to be when I was a kid, we just got to be called plain old homophobic if we were, you know, Christian. Wasn't the world a little more sane when that's all they could call us? That has like a real definition, huh? <laughs> Nobody knows this foolishness about changing genders. All the things that you're phobic about today, right? You can be called fat phobic. Well, clearly I'm not afraid of being fat. I don't know why I'd be called fat phobic. But that's not what they mean by that either. You need to understand, phobos is, is used in a lot of different ways. None of them are actually referring to any of those things. It's just a misuse of the, of the term. I mean, I'm FBI-phobic. Aren't you? I'm IRS-phobic. Federal government-phobic. Executive branch-phobic. That's legit. None of those other things I'm phobic about. But I will just tell you the truth about it. My point being is that, again, even in our world, that refers to a lot of different things. Phobos in Scripture means a lot of different things. Sometimes it means terror. <laughs> like what we talked about in Joshua chapter 1 and 2 in Sunday school today is we're starting that new book today that the, the Canaanites, that our hearts are melting, we're in terror. We are scared spitless of what you guys are going to do to us. We know that we're in a, under a genocide mandate and your God is bigger than ours and we are scared to death. That's one use. Legitimate use. It's not the only use. It's not that emotive spinelessness, fear, similar to cowardice, I think. Some people, when they read something like this, that's the kind of fear that they're talking about. And you should not live in terror of a good father, but that's not what Peter is telling you to do. Yeah? But he does say, in all your con conduct yourselves in fear. And a lot of people don't like to talk about fear, right? They, they have no problem when when Scripture tells us, rejoice always, not that they do it, but they like that. Oh, I'm supposed to rejoice always. The Bible says I'm supposed to rejoice. Be thankful in all things. Oh, I like that. Be anxious for nothing. Everybody like those? I like those commands. I love those commands. I can't do all those either perfectly. Can you? You guys rejoicing this morning? I know some of y'all with little kids, it's rough just to get here. I mean, our littlest kid is 
totally mobile on his own, can dress himself and everything else, and still sometimes tough to get here under rejoice mode. <laughs> yes? Yeah. But you like those commands. You're like, if I try to do those, that's enjoyable. But in the same scripture, in the same dispensation, in the same epistolary literature, he says, conduct yourselves in fear. And you all of a sudden, you stomp your foot and say, uh-uh, God doesn't want me to be afraid of him. Well, your problem is you only have a very small dictionary. And the Bible has to determine what our dictionary says about what it means to fear. God, because, right, those are universal commands. You're supposed to be able to do all of them all at once, right? Because that's what always means. Rejoice always in everything, give thanks. Be anxious for nothing. Those are all consistent things that you're supposed to do every day, every minute of every day, virtually every breath of every day. Yeah? At the same time, at the same time, Peter says, during your stay, while you're alive on this earth, conduct yourselves in fear. You're supposed to be able to do that one every day, all the time, every action, every thought. So whatever fear means, it can't exclude rejoicing. It can't exclude thankfulness. It can't exclude freedom from anxiety, the way Peter's using it, right? That's just logic. Y'all do know the Bible's logical? It's logical. And if it seems illogical, guess who's illogical? Me. So when I look in the Bible, and I understand this, then it tells me that my dictionary is too small if I think that, that fear just means to be in terror of my good father as God's child. And, when, I, and that when that tells me then, I need to go back and look at my concordance. I need to, to look at the way the Bible uses the term. I can go back to the Old Testament. I can go to the New Testament. Go to Psalms. And I can see that fear isn't always used like that. When people came back from the tomb of the risen Lord, said they, they rejoiced with great fear. <laughs> they were rejoicing always, but they rejoiced with great fear. And I find that often fear, when it says it's directed towards a deity, is talking about worship, reverential worship. So when God tells the Israelites that are about to enter the land, he said, you shall not fear their gods or their armies or their kings, because it was all one big mishmash, no separation of Baal worship and state back then. You shall not fear them. What he meant was, you shall not sacrifice to them. You shall not put your children through the fires of Molech. You shall not offer your sacrifices to them. You shall revere me and me alone, and you shall worship me and me alone. And when he says here, Peter says, conduct yourselves in fear, he is saying, listen, do not fear the transgender movement that demands your allegiance and your agreement. Do not fear 
the world around you that tells you the confines of how you can worship Yahweh, how you can worship Jesus. Do not fear all of the things that the world says you should fear, but worship God and God alone. Only fear Him. Treat Him in reverential worship in your behavior and in your actions. And in that sense, terror is not the primary aspect, is it? It's God's children. And I can worship in reverence while rejoicing. And I can worship in reverence while I give thanks. And I can worship in reverence while I'm being anxious for nothing. See, my dictionary was too small when I started. My dictionary is now biblical because that formula works. Right? Right? One of the uses, right, of Fabas. Psalm 211 makes that connection explicit. Psalter there says, Worship worship Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. One of the clearest verses I can find to show you that they're not mutually exclusive. Being holy, then, in Peter's description, is to behave in a way that is guided by reverential worship in our actions. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not thinking much about reverential worship when I fight the parking lot at Walmart. (laughs) But there is a godly way to approach that place. When you find it, you tell me what it is. I'm just kidding. I I do my best. Act reverentially, worshipfully in the decisions that you make, the thoughts that you think. That's the main verb, the main command to view our lives from the point of view of how to worship the Lord with my life. In, in the sojourn, in the paroikios, the, the stay on this earth, you won't need the command once you're glorified. Right? Because you're going to act in glorified ways. This is just for now. That's my job, by the way. You won't need me either. Some of you are like, we don't need you now. Well, that's Okay. The Bible says otherwise, but you can argue with it if you want. The Bible says that pastors and teachers are a gift given to the church. You may not like the way the gift looks, but here I am. But you won't need me then either. Just for this time. That's the main verb. The rest of these things in English look like verbs, but they're not verbs, actually. They're adverbs. They're participles. 
mostly. There, there is one other verb, but it's not the primary verb. <laughs> if you address, right, the conditional statement. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Participle here, verse 18, knowing something. That you were not redeemed with perishable things. Now, that's a latotus, right? That's a way to emphasize a positive statement by using a negative one. And he's going to clarify that. You were not redeemed with perishable things. You were redeemed with imperishable things. We're going to get to that. You were redeemed, though. You were not redeemed with perishable things. When I was a kid, for years, uh, before I went to Believer's Academy in seventh grade, my, my dad had Thursdays off. He worked for HEB, and on Thursday, every other week, we would go down to the produce terminal in San Antonio, where somebody decided they were going to put all of the produce all in one spot, and you could go and buy it out of the back of a pickup truck or out of the back of a semi or out of a big cooler. Years and years and years we did that, and we'd come home and sort it out, and mostly homeschool families, and you know, we'd come and get them. We had a system worked out, right? But my dad would always come home with extra. Extra. Lots and lots and lots and lots of broccoli. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of bananas with questionable lifespans. And so on Thursday, we would be done fixing everybody else's produce in boxes on the driveway, and they would come pick it up. We didn't make a dime on it. It just, it, there's some benefit, right? It was not that. It was just a co-op, right? So we called it. But afterwards, yours truly, and maybe my brother Eli, and sometimes my brother Luke, he usually made himself scarce, would blanch. You know what blanching is? Blanch broccoli hand over fist for hours and slice bananas and put them in a dehydrator for hours because there were boxes and boxes and boxes. You wonder why. There's two things I really didn't eat in my 20s. I didn't eat sandwiches because I had cold-cut sandwiches every day of my life from 7th grade to 12th grade, and I had an inhumane amount of broccoli my whole childhood. And I was forced to store it myself we blanched it and froze it ourselves so that we could be gorged on the wonderful Jesus vegetable. The reason we did all that was because that's perishable. The nasty box of semi-brown bananas and the broccoli that was about to turn yellow with blooms. Because you know broccoli's a flower. Y'all are eating flowers and eat that stuff. That's in my economy. In God's economy, you know what the big box of brown bananas is silver and gold silver and gold how long you want to sit there and wait for that to just perish y'all be homeschoolers right let's do a little science experiment how long is this silver going to take to perish? Somebody needs to bring a box of bananas in here, and we'll see. It'll be a race, right? Which one's going to perish first? 
See, I keep telling you guys that you are choice aliens. This is not your citizenship. This is not where you live. This is not where your rights belong. This is not where you receive your inheritance. And sometimes you still look at me like I'm absolutely nuts. That's okay. I'm in good company. Paul seemed to refer to that. But the economy that matters to you in God's economy, in the one that extends into eternity, silver and gold are perishable, and he didn't bother wasting that on you or me. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. There's actually a technical term for that. They had a word for something that was handed down from your forefathers. Big, long word. I'm not even going to be able to pronounce it. Let's see. Patra Papadotu, anything like that. Just rolls off the tongue. Technical term for stuff that your dad handed you, in this case, that was feudal. Not feudal, not like the medieval mercantilist economy. Futile. I say that like the Borg. Resistance is futile. You weren't redeemed with those but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. Christ. Christ's blood. I want you to stop and think about an economy in which blood is imperishable and silver and gold is like a brown box of bananas. Guys who hunt, what is your job one when you shoot an animal? Get the blood out. Why? The blood in our culture, in our climate, in our world, in the cosmoy that we are, are in, blood is not only perishable, it is the most perishable part. You can eat virtually every other part of an animal. Once it looks like meat, I wouldn't eat the outside bits. For a long time and not get sick, even in hot weather. But that blood is going to cause you a problem. Real quick. But not the blood that redeemed you and redeemed me. When I tell you that your citizenship is not here, in a world of, what's the inflation right now? They're not even admitting to it anymore. Double digits every month. Yeah? We could say that that's because we're no longer on a gold standard, maybe. But remember, even that would rot away in the economy to come, in God's economy. Perishable. You are choice. Not only because of the part that we play in God's plan, not simply a matter of divine pragmatism, because God didn't need to do it that way. He's tremendously sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He could have decided to do it with a brown box of bananas. He doesn't need you. But he did choose you and me as part of his plan, by grace, through faith, redeemed us by this precious imperishable blood 
And guys, I need to remind myself of that. How choice I am. Because there are a lot of theologies that teach you, and a professor of mine used to call it worm theology. And he said, don't, don't you fall into worm theology. Worm theology denigrates the sacrifice of Christ. Because God did not send his son to die for an individual, a being, a creation that was not valuable. He paid a priceless price to redeem a creation that he valued highly. That he declared to be choice. That has intrinsic value because we bear his image. And it was worth the price. Inestimable though it be. Because God does not waste anything. Right? So don't get it backwards. Believers, you are choice. You are precious. Wonderful. Yes, because of God's grace. But you possess it. Yes? That's your identity. That's who you are in Him. In Christ. Choice. Redeemed. Live a worshipful life because we're only here for a a short while. And fairly soon in our economy, we're going to start having to print $100,000 notes, I think. They do that in other parts of the world. Right? You need to look for the benefits of an economy in which that doesn't matter, in which the precious blood of Christ determines what is valuable. We're choice and understanding who we are, the redeemed, the born again in Christ allows us to view things in their proper priority, their proper significance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for this reminder in which, uh, you know, if we spend so much time listening to the input of our world, we would believe that your plan and your desires, your strategy, your gift to us is becoming less and less significant. If we listen to the world around us, we would believe that. But we choose today to listen to your word and to understand what it says about who you are, about who your Son is, and who we are in Him and because of Him. And we thank you for that and for the life that we have in Him. And in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Stand with us. We'll dismiss with a song. You've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know you will do it again. For your promises, yes and amen. You will do great things. God, you do great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you come.
conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. You have done great things. Oh God, you do great things. You're dismissed, church. Have a great Sunday.